Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Fort Gary Fire Trucks, makers of one tough truck. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. Our topic today centers around wildland firefighting, but I certainly would be remiss in not touching on the past and how far we've actually come in the field. Larry Watkinson is the fire chief for the city of Penticton in British Columbia. Joins me today on the podcast. Thank you. Welcome, my friend. Nice to have you. Good morning, Tom. Nice to have you too. Fortunate, I I think I am, to experience generational change. I want to talk about that in a moment, but you've been involved in this uh, crazy business of ours for over 20 years. Tell us the Larry Watkinson story. (laughs) Yeah, interesting. Um, As it relates to wildfires, we my my first position in the fire department was up at the ski resort big white and obviously uh being in a local ski resort it's a highly interfaced community with a lot of high, uh, large assets and great values uh for not just that community but uh, recreational purposes too for uh, the okanagan and uh yeah we saw our fair share uh, of fires up in that area um and, and then also just being in the Okanagan uh, and get going through 2003 with the, uh, the Okanagan Mountain Park fire was uh, obviously devastating uh, to that community and, and to all of us in British Columbia. Uh, and then, you know, learning from our, our operations there and expanding that into where we are today, I think, has come leaps and bounds uh, for just not just the operational readiness for provincial deployments, but uh, the impact to our own communities and the, and the readiness that we've created for those interface communities in the province of British Columbia. I think, again, going farther back, and I, I can't help but reminisce about the old days and in that, that forest fires were not even talked about in the structural fire service. Uh, forest fires were were something that the provincial government would deal with to protect timber resources uh, to, to the market, right? I mean, that, that was industry that needed protection. And so the province would come out and fight forest fires. We, back in the day, we wouldn't even consider putting out a fire in a tree. It was a forestry thing. Um, was that, does that make sense to you going back? Well, I think, you know, even back to 94 and the Garnet fire that came through Penticton, it was a different approach. And, and you know, I think our communities have become much more interfaced. Uh, you know, people want to live in the rural and suburban areas uh, where there's, a, you know, that kind of ranch style intermixed type communities. Uh, I think in the past, it was a lot more uh, ad hoc kind of response to these large complex fires that came into communities where we know we had ranchers and uh, BC Wildfire Service uh, and in a lot of cases, we had like, uh, you know, even back in those days, we'd have uh, prisoner opportunities to come out and fight fires. So that just wouldn't happen in today's world. Uh, so we have had to expand our operations as municipal structural fire departments to be able to uh, coexist and, and work in synergy with BC Wildfire Service and our contractor agencies uh, to, you know, set up protection in those communities that are facing a, a, an incoming, uh, incoming fire to, to their community, uh, but also being able to uh, uh, mitigate that and work with the 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 provincial agencies more uh, frequently and be able to uh, uh, coordinate our operations uh, well significantly more elaborately than we used to in the past and and come together to be able to more effectively fight the fire first time i heard 
the term wildland urban interface, I'm thinking was probably about 2001, 2002. It was in Penticton, actually, in your yep. city. And I was at a, uh, a wildland urban interface conference uh, symposium that was uh, kind of new and, and bringing these, that simple term back into the community, it kind of turned heads and people, well, what is that about? It, it, that was for me, the tipping point, at least for the, for where we are today. Yeah. Uh, and I think after 2003, we uh, were able to focus a bit more about, uh, you know, how, how we work together in the incident command system, uh, you know, and, and not having two uh, organizational structures uh, working um you know, towards the same operational goal, uh, but in two completely different uh, organizational structures. Uh, in today's world, we have become a lot more uh, synergized in our operations when it comes to, you know, uh, you know, structured defense operations and uh, wildland operations and how we actually work within one incident command system and, uh, and work together towards the same operational goals outlined by the incident commanders, uh, be it uh, a wildland incident or a, a, an interface community where we have a unified or joint command in those types of situations. I think too, for our national audience, and we referred, we have referred to 2003, that was, again, that was the big one in, in British Columbia for us. I mean, certainly you mentioned the 90s, the Garnett fire in Penticton, it was a, it was an interface fire. Uh, but again, here you had a fire in the Kelowna area of British Columbia in the Okanagan uh, that uh, encroached into a city for, I think, for my time, one of the first times I'd ever seen that. Uh, that's, that, that, was, that was, again, for me, the tipping point where things started to change. I think it was a tipping point for most people and we realized how, how uh, the impact and how the interface community can be so dramatically uh, and to have such great loss. Uh, we hadn't seen that uh, before, at least in my experience, I, I can't recollect uh, before that. Like, I mean, in 94, the Garnet fire here in Penticton, yeah, we lost some homes, but it wasn't hundreds of homes. It was, you know, uh, you know, a, a few homes. And when you start looking at 300 plus homes burning in 2003, uh, the loss to that community and the loss to the, the province, the impact of that is, uh, wow, the, these these fires when they get into the crown and they start traveling, you know, uh, kilometers on kilometers throughout the day, and how how it impacts with evacuations and the readiness uh, of a community be able, you know, having to evacuate thousands of people, and how do you deal with that? Not only do are we getting better at our wildland operations and our interface uh, in operations, we're getting better about you know our emergency support services, our EOC activations, uh, coordinating our operations with EMBC, uh, you know, having better communications with the provincial structural uh, provincial wildfire coordination center and understanding what resources we can get in fact we used to just have mutual aid agreements for with local jurisdictions with bc wildfire service to be able to function with each other each other out in the field in that first kind of operational period or initial attack and today um, we have an interagency agreement throughout uh, the province which basically oversees uh, the provincial deployment for resources uh, in, in British Columbia. And it, it works with the BC fire chiefs as uh, part of the, the lead organization to be able to hold the engagement process with the local municipal fire chiefs uh, to be engaged in that, in that uh, agreement with BC Wildfire Service and the Office of the Fire Commissioner. Uh, having those three agencies agree to the terms of the agreement, uh, it, it makes things uh, a lot more uh, practical when it comes to time when we have to, uh, you know, uh, let's say load up on the iron to a, a community that is in under threat 
uh, like the, like the town of Hope, uh, you know, being able to make a like it's a one call kind of situation where you need to activate your EOC, you make a one call, and then structure protection specialists and and other specialists will be coming into your community and helping you set up structure defense plans, and and then the machine starts to run, and next thing you know, you have sixty fire apparatus on a tarmac over in the city of Hope. Was this one of the reasons, one of the goals, uh, why the symposium first began and why it was developed? Uh, well, the symposium in, in Penticton, um, the, the one that we created in 2018, was based on the 2017 uh, fires, uh, the Elephant Hill fire and uh, the fires out inside the Okanagan. Um, and it, although the, the resources that came out were very effective, uh, the processing and understanding the check-in and demold procedures, the common communication terminology, uh, strategies, and tactics uh, were uh, really ad hoc and and uh, in a lot of cases uh, misunderstood. Uh, so what we try to do with a small group of um, uh, professionals in this industry, we're able to uh, try to come together and put together best practices. Uh, you know, utilizing our, our, our colleagues in the south, uh, you know, California, uh, Cal Fire has put together some very uh, robust wildland urban interface operating principles uh, that we are able to utilize and, and to help build out the curriculum for the wildland urban interface symposium. But the, the idea was mostly to try to give the participants the experience uh, pre-deployment an actual to an actual event and uh, mimic or, or, or mirror the same uh, approach to it at, at the wildfire urban interface symposium. So those that were attending would have to go through a check-in uh, accountability system, uh, attend their class via boots on the ground wildland firefighting, uh, you know, initial attack uh, command pro processing and sequences, task force strike team leaders or engine boss courses. Uh, then they would have to complete the demobilization process too as they would be leaving the event. So everybody kind of got an understanding of what the procedures would be on deployment so that they weren't taken back or misunderstood how, what the expectations would be when you go on a provincial deployment, rules, responsibilities, paperwork, uh, you know, accountability systems, uh, daily time reports for payment, and how that all is processed so that they, they have a general understanding when they do get called upon uh, and they're not totally in the dark when they when they show up in a town like Hope. You talked about 2017 and right through to last year, in fact, uh, 2020, when uh, you know it became a traditional thing. It always is that we were involved in communities. Um, how how did we change since 2017? I mean, have we have we truly evolved? <laughs> I think we certainly have, and and with the support of the three agencies, BC Fire Chiefs, uh, the Office of the Fire Commissioner, and BC Wildfire Service, they they've really got behind the development of curriculum for training, and the, the purposes of that is to really give them an understand that those participants that are coming out on deployment, a better understanding of exactly what the expectations are and how to manage the appropriate documentation, to how to communicate with the. Uh, Provincial Wildfire Coordination Center, the Office of the Fire Commissioner, appropriate paperwork and time cards. Uh, but then that all, the administration component of that is now in place. So I think the understanding and knowledge of that uh, is significantly higher. So the processing is improved, but, it, but more so the operational readiness 
for those individuals or those fire departments that are sending resources to support a community, they have a, a much stronger understanding of what their expectations are as an engine boss, you know, appropriate leadership capabilities, uh, what is expected as per the, the, the equipment and apparatus and PPE that they're bringing to the event, you know, they, they, how they need to be self-sufficient for 48 hours and why that is, uh, especially in the COVID environment, we are really isolating uh, engines as they come in. There's no more congregation at you know, single camp locations uh, at today's world, at least. Um, but you know, understanding the check-in and demobilization procedures, that is all administratively processed and is significantly improved uh, and how we integrate with the provincial incident management teams uh, as a structure protection branch. But the training has been like just from experience uh, as a branch director at, at wildfires, we have seen significant improvements in our operations on structure defense mechanisms, not just for safety, but for general understanding, how do we communicate with each other, uh, common terminology, common strategies and tactics so that when I say to you, Tom, and, and your company from Hope, hey, Tom, we're going to do a bump and run strategy through this community to do structure defense operations. Everybody understands what bump and run means if you've gone through the curriculum and the courses. So uh, that general knowledge um, and the qualification process that is uh, required to complete those courses has become uh, a much stronger uh, mechanism for everybody on deployment to understand each other's uh, tactical operations. I think that this, uh, obviously, this education, this curriculum development has allowed fire departments and communities to obviously raise their game uh, when it comes to being involved in, in structural protection, but certainly with equipment uh, and the deployment of this equipment. I mean, sprinkler protection units, for example, are becoming more prevalent in many more communities, are they not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think we've been able to show the the structure defense or structure protection operations using uh, structure protection units, be it uh, a, a municipality's uh, unit themselves or a provincial uh, trailer like uh, the BC Wildfire Service holds. The uh, Type One trailers, you know, can do up to uh, you know 100 homes of protection. And when these things start rolling into town, uh, you know, you get a sense of security uh, and, and, and we've, we've witnessed that, you know, the structure, structure protection systems being put up and, and, and I can speak from ex experience last year at the Christie Mount wildfire in Penticton uh, in South Okanagan here. Uh, you know, we had approximately three hours before the fire front was going to be in the community. Uh, it was 37 degrees that day. It was 13% uh, relative humidity, and uh, the fine fuels impingement was 80%. So we we knew that we had a terrible situation when it came to wildfire and ember transplant into a community. And a lot of these homes sadly still had cedar shade roofs. Um, and we quickly, rapidly set up um, on 10 homes that we, we knew had cedar shade roofs and were high risk. Um, and, you know, sadly, we lost one structure, but the, the, the other nine survived a, a huge ember shower that came into that community. So uh, we're, we're learning that the structure protection systems and the sprinkler systems work very well for that ember transplant uh, and, you know, bringing that, that type of uh, defense mechanism into a community with, uh, you know, type one or type two trailers from the province or those municipalities that have built them themselves. Uh, I, I can tell you right now that there that one event paid for that trailer uh, and uh, you know the the security for the community once the fire department is trained up on them can be a, a very strong uh, defense mechanisms for in, in the face of wildfire 
Let's touch on, on public education and you talk about the Cedar Shake roofs and, and that thing. Uh, the, through programs such as Fire Smart and in particular Fire Smart BC, uh, that a lot has been done and a lot is continuing to be done in communities with regard to public education and, and self-protection in, in, uh, in properties. I think FireSmart Canada and FireSmart British Columbia have done an outstanding job in the investment uh, for communities to be able to take it to the next level. Uh, the education components, May 26, we're going to have uh, FireSmart BC's uh, online conference with some great speakers that are going to be presenting there uh, on the initiatives that they've done in, in their communities. Here in Penticton, we have uh, six communities that have been recognized as uh, FireSmart communities in, in the Wildland Urban Interface, and we're actually now developing a new FireSmart coordinator position. Uh, that, and these are all grant-funded opportunities uh, from the province, and um, you know, exciting times for us to see that you know people are really getting on board with the modeling of FireSmart, and it's made it we've made it so much more attainable for those homeowners and simplistic with applications on their devices, and having local FireSmart representatives in their community that are trained that can come out and do assessments with those homeowners, and opportunities to help mitigate the properties uh, to better improve them. Uh, or harden them or become more resilient in the face of wildfires. So um, I, the tools, uh, the accessibility to the BC Wildfire, uh, FireSmart uh, program coordinators, uh, FireSmart Canada, uh, the online uh, opportunities to learn and get educated on, on the models behind FireSmart. And then I, I guess I think to the, the events that we say and we can share experiences like Christie Mountain Wildfire last year and, and, and why that house burnt down was truly strictly because of the, uh, the Cedar Shake roof. Um, and if the homeowners in that interface community would have made the change that I can tell you that house would have survived that ember, ember shower because of the work that we did uh, and the operations uh, uh, boots on the ground kind of wildland firefighting. So yeah, I, I think that uh, as we grow and I think as people understand that the benefits of becoming a hardened home at following the fire smart model and and as as communities grow and, and start developing uh, uh, development proposal applications dpas for uh, communities when they're being built in the wildland interface uh, adjusting their official community plans to make sure that they meet the community wildfire protection plans and the best practices for the development in those areas it, it certainly is growing and i think people are finally getting traction of why we need to be fire smart in our communities because we are seeing a more robust, more frequent and hard, fast moving wildfires into our communities. You have to be, uh, uh, you have to be uh, thankful that the government and, and those agencies have stepped up. Monies have become available uh, for communities. I think that's, uh, that's going to continue, I, I would think, for communities to be able to get involved in fire smart programs. Uh, are, are we leading the country? Do you know it all in BC uh, in doing this kind of thing? You know, I, I, I know what we're doing in BC um, and the Community Resilience Investment Fund has been a big driver of opportunity to do not just fuel mitigation and fuel treatments through prescription management, uh, but also like uh, Penticton was uh, fortunate to be able to receive a grant to fund a full-time position in Penticton uh, to be a FireSmart coordinator. And also, uh, I'm sure you're aware that the, the province has also provided an economic recovery fund uh, uh, for FireSmart and, and, and the purpose is to that is actually to specifically develop positions to start mitigating uh, the threat to these homeowners in in the in your communities in the province of British Columbia. So we're excited. Uh, well, I'm certainly excited about the opportunity to be able to make a real impact over the next year on those that are unable to do the work themselves, or uh, or, uh, or maybe out of an age that. Uh, 
it makes it more difficult for them to actually, you know, climb a ladder, clean the gutters or limb a tree. Uh, and being able to provide that service to our homeowners here in Penticton is, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a very rewarding uh, program. And I think it's going to be a very uh, uh, productive program for, for our community and the, for those homes in the interface. I think, uh, you know, Wildland in, in terms of, of their business, they have they done very well across Canada with the mutual aid agreements. I mean, we see a lot of the uh, provincial wild firefighters from other provinces in our province every summer, uh, at least uh, most summers. Uh, is this, is, do we have something to learn from other provinces when it comes to structure or vice versa? Do they have a lot to learn from us at all? I think that the Canadian response uh, through CFC has been, uh, you know, the, having that inter-provincial uh, agreement with the BC Wildfire Service and the other agencies across the country. Uh, you know, we've, uh, I can speak, uh, you know, I've had opportunity to work with uh, Alberta, Ontario, um, and, and even the Saskatchewan groups. Uh, so they, they are very, uh, uh, coordinated uh, and, and are able to access those resources. And even as it comes across to, uh, across uh, North America into our, our southern counterparts, I know that uh, BC Wildfire Service sent down a number of units down to support the, the fires in the late season from last year uh, in Washington and Oregon and uh, into California. And um, you know, I, I know that was all that would be reciprocal for for the province of British Columbia, but also we've even had, uh, you know, um, agencies from Australia, like I worked with the crew in, in Vanderhoof in 2018, and it's an management team that was there for a month. And we worked uh, inside their inter their incident management team, and we learned a lot from them. Uh, and we were able to share our operations with them, because uh, they're not familiar with st structure protection specialists or, or sprinkler systems. And uh, so they, they took a lot of that away, and then we were able to see how we were able to protect homes um, you know, with, a, with a crowning fire into the community and uh, have it prepared for them. Uh, to be able to, to protect those homes. Uh, and they took that home and I think they're looking at uh, implementing that now and uh, in some of the cases down in Australia. You talked you, you talked about some of the challenges uh, dealing during a pandemic and trying to keep people up to speed with with training and and setting these uh, these complex curriculums together. Uh, is this going to slow us down or are we still on pace? You know, I, I give credit to, to the uh, the office of the fire commissioner uh, and BC Wildfire Service, they've really looked at uh, the the upcoming wildfire season um, and what you know the training that is required. And they were able to identify the the engine boss course that we have created here at the Wildland Urban Interface Symposium in Penticton uh, as essential training. And in fact, just last Friday, we, we had a mock class, COVID compliant class here in Penticton that we filmed and we'll make available to students online. Uh, there'll be five 90 minute sessions online. And then we're gonna be doing a COVID compliant day two in the field to qualify those individuals as engine bosses. This will be regionalized all around BC. So we are gonna deliver 10 in-class sessions uh, all throughout the province and the idea there is that uh, it will be it will stay where those individuals remain within their health authority uh, they won't cross uh, contaminate outside their engine that they respond on 
and they will uh, they will be able to get themselves qualified and certified. It's certainly not the 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 ultimate mechanism to be able to deliver this course, but uh, being able to provide a 50% online and then another COVID compliant face to face training, uh, we're we're thinking we're going to be upwards uh, to 450 to 500 possibly uh, qualified engine bosses by the end of this this training block. So that's exciting times for us. So again, you know, you think about those that are. Uh, uh, signed up for provincial deployments with the Office of the Fire Commissioner, those individuals be selected first to participate in this training. And then they will all have that common understanding uh, and how to communicate, how to, to understand strategy and tactics and, and what to do on deployment so that they're not taken back when they are, they're getting that drawdown from the province to say, hey, you're going to uh, the, 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 the town of Hope to help protect uh, you know, 150 homes from a, a facing wildfire. We'd love to see you, but respectfully, we don't want to see you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thank you for this, uh, Larry. Uh, congratulations on the uh, success of the programs. And uh, I think that uh, the future is is only bright in, the, in that regard. And, and hopefully, again, we hope for a, a good wildland fire season. And, and But we can never we never can be too prepared. Yeah, Tom, I appreciate your call and, and giving us the opportunity to speak towards our efforts here in British Columbia. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Fort Gary Fire Trucks, makers of one tough truck. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes. <laughs>